We are talking about money this week, and some of you might be thinking, wait, didn't we just do that? (laughs) And yes, we did. We're talking about it again. The reason being that, for one thing, is many of us know or have known firsthand, there are not many issues that can more easily and completely get in the way of living a joyful and sustainable life than money. And for another thing, and this is very much not a coincidence, the Bible talks a lot about money especially when you look through ancient cultural lenses where wealth usually took the form of land and agricultural property as opposed to numbers on a bank spreadsheet like for us today. Both the Old and New Testament have a lot to say about money. Warning against putting our trust in wealth, warning not to try to serve both God and wealth, encouraging to be generous and open-handed with our wealth, that our perspective on money tells us a lot about the condition of our hearts, and on and on. So, we are going to do the always advisable thing and, get this, talk about what the Bible talks about. (laughs) Meredith's focus a couple weeks back was the anxiety that often surrounds money. I'm going to focus more on what we do with our money today and why. As I said, there are, I don't know, 300 different things that could be said about what the Bible has to say about how the way we use our money impacts joyful and sustainable living, especially when we expand it out from just our own joyful and sustainable living, to include the lives of others and of the planet more broadly. And instead of making this sermon an hour and 15 minutes, we are going to just choose one of those things, not to say all the things that could be said. We'll just have to save all those other things about money for another time. Today, we are going to focus on one particular aspect of how money works in the world, one that is really impactful on joyful and sustainable living. And that is the relationship between money and status. Money and status. Now, money and status, or again, wealth and status, have always been tightly linked. Having money and being able to use that money in certain ways to signal how much money you have is one of the ways people get perceived by others as being in one social class versus another. Today, the car you drive, the clothes you wear, the experiences you have, the vacations you take, the house you live in, Whether that house is big enough to allow you to have a back kitchen where all the real cooking is done so that the actual kitchen doesn't ever get dirty and can be the pristine showpiece it was designed to be, which I hear is actually a thing in rich people's circles now, they're all ways of showing other people what type of person you are. Sometimes this is overt. Usually if it's too overt, we label someone as trying too hard. But more often it's a more subtle subconscious sort of thing. Think of how many Teslas are out on the road these days. How much of that is due to Tesla's unique value proposition, the quality of the car or the sleekness of the design? And how much is due to people subconsciously seeing themselves as, or wanting other people to see them as, the type of person who drives a Tesla? Or I think of that era when darn near every man of a certain um, age and race and socioeconomic status, at least in Southern California, started wearing Tommy Bahama clothing. Now, there's not that there's anything wrong with wearing Tommy Bahama, but the unique quality of the clothing had less to do with the trend than the way that wearing those clothes marked you as a man of a certain type. Again, this has always been the case. Back in New Testament times, the way one raised their status in society was by becoming what was called a benefactor, using your wealth either to help other people in some way, which then placed them in your debt, with the more people who were in your debt being directly related to your relative status, or using your wealth to finance some public good or service, a temple maybe, putting the whole city in your debt, 
to some degree. It would be like today if a rich person paid for the building of a new police station or financed trash pickup for the whole town. Those things would bring you honor and raise your status in the eyes of society. The specifics of how wealth raises status might change, but they've always been linked. And the result is that the pressure to be able to afford to do the things that mark us as having a certain status, that pressure can be both powerful and insidious. To have certain experiences or be able to live a certain lifestyle, to buy certain things, be seen as a certain type of person. Sometimes this pressure comes to bear on us in unexpected ways, I think. I have pretty much always been allergic to the conspicuous consumption form of this. I virtually never will be caught wearing a visible brand. The other parents from Peyton's dual language class last month thought it was hilarious that I got the battery replaced on my ancient iPhone 7 so I could keep using it. And I remember being distinctly uncomfortable back when I was a 25-year-old youth pastor when my grandma died and I inherited and started driving around her car, which was a pristine, top-of-the-line Toyota Camry. I'm less uncomfortable now that it's 18 years old and pushing 200,000 miles. Using my wealth to flash my status to those around me has very little pull for me personally. But you know how the pressure does get to me? In the type of lifestyle, I feel like I should be able to give my kids. Riley, our older, loves to eat salmon. And as their grandparents can attest, both our kids love berries, especially blackberries and raspberries, and they can put a lot of them away in one sitting. And as you may or may not be aware, eating those things gets really expensive really quickly. But the pull, that whisper that says, don't you want to be the type of parent? who can regularly give your kid as much fresh wild-caught salmon as they want and as many bowls of ripe raspberries as they can eat? It's too bad you can't afford that. Guess you aren't the type of parent you want to be, are you? There are times when that whisper starts playing in my ear. My attempt at getting around the financial realities here is to plant a wallaberry bushes in our yard so that at least for a few weeks in the spring, our kids really can eat as many berries as they want. My backyard wild salmon river hasn't been as successful for some reason. Or, Meredith and I both grew up going skiing several times a winter. I on the superior slopes of Lake Tahoe in Northern California, but I digress. We both would also go to multiple baseball games each season. We would go water skiing in the summers, and I think we both just assumed that we would be able to give our kids the same experiences. That we would be that type of parent. Because those are the experiences that people like us can afford to give their kids. Except those things just don't fit in the budget. And again, that whisper sometimes breaks through and eats at not my status in the eyes of others, I guess, but my status in my own eyes. Am I the type of person I want to be or think I should be? Whether it's the pull to use money to show a certain face out to the world or to fulfill a certain lifestyle that's in our minds, the pull puts us in a no-win situation where we have to choose between living joyful lives, or at least what we think will be joyful lives, or living sustainable ones, with the whisper in our mind telling us that joyful living only comes when we have a certain status or lifestyle, that choosing the no-fun prudence of sustainability would mean sacrificing joy. But then at the same time, we know that choosing to spend our money pursuing joy in a way that sacrifices sustainability will be at best a temporary fix that in the long run will swamp whatever joy we had under the stress of financial anxiety when the bill comes due. And what really sinks us 
is the way that whisper of shame and inadequacy convinces us that we are falling short because we don't have the wealth to do or be whatever it is we feel we are supposed to do or be. And that shame, that inadequacy, comes because of the sometimes overt, sometimes unconscious way that wealth and status are connected in our minds, where not having the money to do or be a certain thing is not a neutral, something we can take or leave. It is a pure negative, marking us as less than the people we aspire to be. When status becomes linked with money, joyful and sustainable living is impossible. Because there is always a higher status to be gained. And as research has shown very clearly, we humans have an uncanny ability to compare ourselves to the next level up rather than the next level down. And I think, by the way, there's a very clear evolutionary reason for this. When you look at ape societies, especially on the male side of things, you are either at the top of the heap or you are nothing. But without getting into evolutionary biology any further than that, I think this is one of the many ways in which the good news of Jesus the gospel God invites us to live into is that there is a better way than the one that we have inherited from nature. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 24. A dispute also arose among the disciples as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. There's the question of status. But Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors. There's that word but not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. One of the consistent themes throughout the New Testament is the way that Jesus strikes at the heart of the way status is determined, upending the whole system and inviting his followers to do the same, to live as if status were gained in ways completely foreign to the world around us. This reality is the antidote to the shame that comes from pursuing status in the ways the world demands. Because when we buy into the wealth leads to status calculus, joyful and sustainable living just isn't possible. It is only when we allow Jesus to reorient our understanding of status, that we can break free of the trap and truly use our money in ways that are joyful and sustainable. It's only when we allow Jesus to tell us what our status is and believe him that we will be able to live as if joyful, sustainable life was not dependent on having enough money to be able to afford a certain lifestyle or be seen as a certain type of person. And so as we approach this new year, we have the opportunity to check in on how we will use our money in the year to come and to what extent we have believed the lie that our status is linked to what we do with that money. So I would encourage you to have an honest conversation with yourself and anyone else who's involved with your family finances about how and why you use your money. Do you use it to achieve status? Whether that's being seen in a certain way by others or living the sort of lifestyle you're convinced you are supposed to live? Or do you use it so that you and others can live joyfully and sustainably? And please hear me, this is not a give more money sermon. Sure, that might be a way to remind yourself that your status doesn't depend on your wealth and so you can give some away. But there are plenty of people who give money so that they can raise their own status by being seen as a generous person or so that they can tell themselves that they are a generous person. 
And both are instances where generosity is actually being used in the service of status building, buying into the system that links wealth and status even as you give wealth away. So look at how you use your money and why. Are there expenses, even in seemingly altruistic ones, that are more about status than joyful, sustainable life? Are there things you can't afford that are bringing a sense of shame or inadequacy? If so, try to first rest in the reality that your status depends not on your wealth, but on Jesus and Jesus alone. Allow that truth to seep out into your financial life. Are there ways that you could use your money to bring joyful and sustainable life to you and to others. Spending money on yourself and on your family is not a bad thing. It becomes a bad thing when it is driven by striving after status or a certain lifestyle, rather than by a desire to experience the joyful, sustainable life that Jesus offers. Because when that is the driving factor, I think we will find that we are better able to balance enjoying what God has given us for ourselves and helping others enjoy the life God has given them as well, whether that is through generous giving or paying someone a fair wage as they engage in their own dignifying work. Money and how we use our money doesn't have to get in the way of the joyful, sustainable life Jesus offers us. And the key is to remember that our status, our true status, is not determined by what the eyes of others see when they look at us, is not determined by the lifestyle we can afford, the experiences we can buy, the things our eyes see when they look around us. Our true status is the found in the eyes of Jesus and Jesus alone.